Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. All righty, folks, we are now in overtime, and we've got Matthew Fallone, a member of CWA Local 3905, representing AT&T workers here in Huntsville. Matt, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure, Jacob. Glad you had me. Absolutely. And, and and you you are a steward at, at that local, right? Presumably? I am. Yep. Uh, so I'm a steward and I'm also the organizer of our local. Correct. Okay. Great. Great. So you are going to be with co-host Adam Keller facilitating two workshops today. At, today as people are listening, um, but a couple days as we're recording Um, two workshops, the first being the legal rights of union stewards, and then the second being using grievances to build power. And so we will go with uh, the first one first, which is the legal rights of union stewards. And just uh, we'll start off with an overview of what people uh, can expect if they were able to attend this. You know, maybe some people are listening to this later. Um, but for the people, but also for the people who who aren't able to attend and and are listening live, uh, what would you expect from this workshop, the legal rights of union stewards? So basically, when it comes to union stewards, we are given special status by law due to the NLRA, uh, which basically says, as a steward, we are in any sort of a capacity when it comes to meeting with management, the employer, the bosses, um, we are their equal. So even though you may just be a regular old worker, if you walk into a meeting with management um, for any reason, whether it's to represent somebody, whether it's contract negotiations, bargaining, stuff like that, um, you are, at the same level. So I could walk in, you know, I work, you said AT&T, I work for DirecTV, I work in a call center. I can walk into a meeting with the site director, the top guy in that building, and he and I are equal at that meeting. Um, so those are the, uh, the you know, the legal um, rights that stewards are given um, due to the NLRA. And so what does that, and I guess we should even, um, you know, m- maybe it would even be good to, to go back and uh, just a little bit and ask how, how, what is a steward even? So a steward is a representative um, of the local or the union. Um, so what we do is, um, you know, we're kind of, I wouldn't say the middleman, but we are the representatives of all the, the members of the union. 
So if it comes to, you know, disciplinary meetings, any sort of an issue that arises within the workplace, uh, it is our job to, uh, you know, take those concerns, those issues, those complaints, and bring them to management and make sure um, that, you know, management is hearing our voices and making sure uh, that things are being accomplished uh, so that every single employee isn't having to run into the manager's office. So what a steward will do, um, you know, we work on grievances, we represent agents when they're in disciplinary meetings. Um, one of the most important parts of a steward, in my opinion, uh, as I'm an organizer as well, um, and we'll go over that a little bit later, um, is also making sure that the workplace is organized so that we are hearing the complaints, making sure that we understand what's happening. Um, in my opinion, that's probably the most important part of what we do. Right, right. And so, you know, going back to the legal rights, you said, you know, you, you have these abilities to have meetings, whether they're grievance procedures or a disciplinary meeting or, you know, contract negotiations, all of these things, you know, you've got got a kind of special status that places you more on par with, uh, with the employer in those meetings. Um, and one of the important uh, legal rights that union stewards have is, and, and that members have the ability to call on their union stewards, is wine garden rights. Can you talk to us about what those are? So what the wine garden rights are, um, they're federally guaranteed rights, um, and you know, in in our local, and I'm sure it's the same in many other locals. What we do, you know, when we uh, initiate new membership, um, you know, we have them posted on the wall wherever you go. Um, what they guarantee is that if any uh, meeting between um, a worker, a member, uh, any sort of meeting with management, if that manage or that meeting can lead to any sort of discipline. Um, they are guaranteed representation by a steward or a member of the union or, you know, a steward mostly. Um, so what we tell our new members and old members, members that have been around forever in case they've forgotten, um, is that anytime you're called into a meeting with management, the first question you always ask without hesitation is, can this meeting lead to discipline? And if the answer to that question is yes, you have the right right then and there to stop that meeting and request representation from a union uh, representative, steward. Um, those are very important because obviously um, uh, employers, big corporations, you know, may try to pull fast ones, uh, use uh, scare tactics, stuff like that. So we're there to make sure that everybody uh, is treated equally, fairly, uh, and there's no funny business happening uh, by the bosses. Right, right. And so what are some other, uh, you know, are there any other rights that you're going to be talking about in this workshop? So, I mean, basically, we're going to be covering those rights when it comes to stewards, not necessarily members, uh, but stewards. Um, so when it comes to those rights. So, you know, like we said, going into a meeting, we're equal. Um, so what that rule also covers, or that law also covers, is behaviors that you may not normally be able to get away with when it comes to your worker boss relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so not only are we equals, but we can treat them as such. So if let's say, you know, the, the main guy running the meeting, the main boss, the site director, a manager, whatever the case may be, 
Um, you know, if I feel like they're being condescending or if they're not telling the truth, it's within my right to call them a liar. It's within my right to call them a jackass. It's within my right to do a lot of things um, that normally would lead to discipline, possibly firing. Um, so stuff like that. So that's what that, that special status covers. Um, also, when it comes to, you know, in particular, when we're talking about like grievance procedure, um, you know, the right to request information is also a very important uh, mm -hmm. legal right for stewards. Um, so, you know, when you're defending somebody in a matter of discipline, um, you know, that's not necessarily for me, you know, with this, as a steward, but when it comes to like people who are bargaining with the company come contract time, um, they are also able to request information. Um, so the company has to abide by those rules. So they have to release information to us that is requested as long as it is, you know, has, has something to do with the issue that we're, we're talking about. I can't just, you know, we can't just ask some crazy stuff. Um, but what we'll do is make sure with that information, like I said, the, I mean, the main important thing that we make sure when it comes to our members is that everybody's tre being treated equally and fairly. So when we request information, we can request information from not, not only that person, but we can request information from everybody in the past you know, few years that have been disciplined for the same thing or about to be disciplined for the same thing. We can also request information um, about people who are not bargained employees. Mm -hmm. So if there's an issue with say a, manage, a specific manager, we're able to re request information on them. And then also make sure that when it comes to discipline for managers, they are not being treated any differently than a bargained employee would be. Um, so that, in my opinion, is also one of the more important things because they have no way to hide that information from us. They have to provide any and all information that we request. Like I said, as long as it's, you know, it has to do with the subject, but that is a, a huge issue, especially when it comes to grievances, whether or not somebody has been fired or about to be fired or levels uh, added to another step of discipline. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very important thing. Yeah, and so the the right to request information is that enforced through the NLRB? Like, if they don't, uh, you know, if, if I sit as a steward, I send an information request, and then they don't, they just ignore it. Is that is that something that you file a ULP over, and that potentially the NLRB could, you know, compel them to to grant? Absolutely, one hundred percent. So they have to follow those rules and regulations as well. Um, like I said, I mean, you can't just ask crazy stuff. Um, you know, you can't, uh, you know, be threatening, you know, it has to be something that's pertaining to the issue at hand, but yes, they have to provide that information. Any other important, uh, rights that, that you think, uh, that, that you're going to be going over during this training? You know what? I think that's about it. I mean, those are the most important mm -hmm. things. I mean, what we're going to do probably, you know, and we'll probably do the same thing for the other the other panel as well. Um, but we're also, you know, obviously that room is probably going to be full of stewards. And mm -hmm. one of the most important things, I think, especially, you know, you, you and I were both at Labor Notes, the big conference. Um, one of the great things about that conference is bringing a lot of people together um, from different unions. Um, one thing that I learned while I was there is, you know, being a member of the CWA, which is a huge union that's been around for quite a while there have been rights and you know stuff that we've won throughout the years well before i became a member but there are also smaller unions 
across the country that are fighting for those very same rights as we speak. So it's good to see and hear from other unions. Uh, so that's why we want to, you know, kind of turn it over to everybody in the room um, because we're all at the same level, right? Um, just to see how everybody else is doing and hopefully learn, you know, a different way of going about things just by hearing what other people do in certain situations that you may not have thought of, um, stuff that we can do in the future, uh, you know, in a certain situation like a grievance, uh, you know, that you're beating your head up against the wall uh, with a specific manager, maybe somebody else has a different suggestion. Um, so that's one of the good things that we're hoping to accomplish while we're at that panel. Yeah. And so the, uh, you know, this is a, it's a training about the legal rights of union stewards, but labor notes is not generally known for its, you know, um, for its emphasis on, on legalistic measures. Right. Uh, and so there's obvious, there, there's, there's some different undertones, uh, to, there's going to be some different undertones to this training as opposed to just, you know, this is the law and you need to know the law and the law will protect you and, and, and all that. Uh, you know, it, there, there are, are reasons that it's important to understand what your rights are as a union steward so that you can better represent your uh, fellow workers and so that you can better organize your fellow workers. What are some of the, what are some of the reasons to, to understand your rights um, you know, given by the law, and then, and then also, you know, other p potentially ancillary rights in your contract that are beyond the law. What are, you know, why, how, why should a steward know those and know those kind of like the back of their hand, um, and and how will knowing those <clears throat> help them to better organize their their fellow workers? So yeah, so that's the most important part. You know, we. Um we keep that in mind. Uh, we, in our local, when it comes to stewards, our vice president always states he is, he knows the, our contract like the back of his hand. So the contract is the most important thing um, because contracts vary, you know, what one union deals with, you know, maybe another one doesn't. Um, but knowing the contract, knowing the rules can only mean that you're going to represent your, um, you, you know, your member better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not to say that all companies do it on purpose, um, but I'm sure a lot of them do. Whether or not the management knows the rules, the regulations, the contract, um, or whether or not they are, you know, trying to play games um, to see what they can get away with. And, you know, we were in a meeting, um, our leadership was in a meeting with our management the other day, um, and just the games that he tried to play. Um, but um, knowing your contract, knowing the rules, knowing the regulations uh, is going to make sure that none of that happens. And you can make sure uh, that if you continually demonstrate that you know that rule, that regulation, that law, the company that you work for, the union or the, you know, what your union, who your union is dealing with, they're not going to try to play those, those games any longer because they know they're going to be caught. So like I said, not to say that they're doing it, whether it's intentional or not, or not intentional, um, most companies historically are going to try to play those games to see right. what they can get away with. Right. Right. And how, how does knowing these, how does, how does knowing these rights and, and being able to enforce them, how does that help you, um, organize your members? 
Well, the, the membership is going to be happy when you can, uh, you know, present them with victories, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in situations. Uh, so, you know, if you're continually, you know, losing employees or people are being disciplined um, for things and, you know, you're going into grievances and you're never winning, um, you know, they're going to lose faith. Um, but if you go into a meeting and you're continually uh, producing results, um, it makes it a lot easier uh, to get everybody excited about what the union can do. You know, it, it's ironic. The other, the, probably a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had an issue with DirecTV at our call center uh, where contractually we are paid every two weeks. That's how it always is, how it always will be. And that's our contract. Um, in the call center, we have what we call an incentive. So it's a monthly incentive. It's basically a bonus. It's dependent upon your 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 results, right? Um, so not every, not necessarily every other week, but the week we that week we were supposed to get our bonus check. So there's supposed to be our regular forty-hour check, and then our bonus. So the bonuses can range anywhere between five hundred to a thousand dollars, depending. You know, it could be less, could be a little bit more. Uh, so it's a significant chunk of money, right? Um, and this bonus check fell on the 29th of the month. So it was a Friday, it was the 29th, you know, what comes up on the first rent, you know, bills. So people are dependent upon that money. We already know what we're supposed to get. Um, so people know what their check is supposed to be like. Um, so a lot of people have direct deposit, depending on what type of bank you have, you may have, you may get that direct deposit notification on a Wednesday. So on a Wednesday, people were starting to, you know, to hit us up. Uh, whether it be my phone or Facebook page that we use. Uh, but a lot of people were starting to say, hey, you know, this isn't looking right. Um, mm. So, you know, a couple of the guys within the union, myself and a few others, you know, we started to look into it, discover what the issue was. And what we found out was that the bonus was not included in that check. So like I said, $500,000 could it be, you know. Um, so obviously that's not going to make anybody happy. So what we immediately did, we heard the complaints of the membership immediately started um, making phone calls, making emails. Um, but what we also did is made sure that each individual agent was either sending emails to their direct supervisor and then CCing that with their supervisor um, so that the company was aware that we were aware that there was something wrong. Mm. Um, and that pressure that, that we organized uh, within our membership got the results that we wanted. So within probably a couple hours, and this has happened in the past with certain things, and it's always, and I'm sure it's the same thing with a lot of other companies, um, you know, well, we'll get you on the next check, you know, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll make it up to you. So we weren't going to allow that to happen. Um, you know, we, we made them aware that we were not going to allow that to happen. Um, so within a few hours, we got um, an email from the higher, higher ups um, stating that they were aware of the issue. Um, and that there was going to be a second off-cycle check cut. We were going to get it on the same day. So the pressure um, that we were able to organize within our membership, we believe, is what forced their hand to make sure that that money came uh, at the proper time. Um, and in my opinion, although it was a bad thing because it was a stressful situation for a lot of people um, because they weren't didn't know what was going to happen, uh, but we as a union used that uh, power, that pressure, to organize and make sure people were aware of the power of our union. And they, we were able to demonstrate that um, and it made everybody happy. Um, right. So that, that instance, I'm sure, um, you know, we got 
you know, a hundred uh, requests to join the Facebook page, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people patting us on the back. So, you know, it, in the call center we work at, it's work from home. Um, so organizing is tough now. Uh, so we use the Facebook page as one of our main things. And for a significant amount of people to request to join that Facebook page makes us a much stronger union. Absolutely. I, I think so. And and I think that this uh, this kind of bleeds into the next workshop, which is, you know, the uh, the the using grievances to build to build power. And I think that this is something that that, you know, potentially maybe, you know, one individual person, you individually as a steward could have just filed a grievance and then maybe you do or you don't get a win at some point and, and maybe you do or, you know, but that's not very, that doesn't build power very much, but you were able to include in this action, you and your, and the, you know, the executive board, the other stewards, the vice president, all these people, you were able to include, um, Everybody, all of your coworkers in this action, and you are able to build their faith and trust in one another, uh, and therefore their union. And and so you were you were able to use a grievance, a, a grievance in the you know in, in in the layman's use of the words. There was you know you, you had a grievance with the situation, not in the technical you know right. sense maybe, uh, but and, and you were able to use that to build power. And so you know the second workshop that you're going to be facilitating with Adam Keller is. Uh, is titled Using Grievances to Build Power. And so first, uh, let's just get an understanding of grievance. You know, I said that using grievance in, the, in a layman's term, but, but there's also a contractual um, meaning of that word. What does grievance mean when union people talk about it? So agreements to us would mean there is some sort of a discipline that took place, some sort of an issue that took place. Um, so, you know, I'll use an example, uh, you know, with CWA, uh, there's a, a, a step of discipline. So if you are, you know, you do something wrong, they're going to follow that step. So, you know, there's, there's coaching, then there's um, written warning, then final warning, then, you know, termination, stuff like that. So they kind of have to follow that structure um, when it comes to discipline. Um, so let's say, um, you know, you did something wrong. Um, the company investigates it. They come back and say, you know what, uh, Matt, uh, we're going to put you on a written warning for what you did. Um, so that written warning usually will require some sort of, um, you know, something was done wrong and the prior steps should have been used. So, you know, you, they can't just walk in and fire me because I did something wrong one day. Um, you know, they're going to have to give me some sort of coaching. They're going to have to write it down. We're going to have to make sure that there's a process that goes with it. Um, so if, if, you know, they skip those steps of discipline and the, the, um, the discipline doesn't fit the, the crime, um, what we can do is file a grievance. Um, we can, which of course is protected by the contract, um, the NLRB. Um, so what we do is the, you know, the person who doesn't agree with the, the discipline We'll file what we call a statement of occurrence. They'll explain the situation, um, you know, what they feel is wrong. Um, and then we will go to um, the company um, and say, hey, you know, we believe this wasn't done properly. So our main concern at all times within our membership is that everybody is treated, treated equally and fairly. Um, so if we see that one person is being uh, singled out, um, that's wrong, can't be done. Uh, but if let's say somebody did the same thing that that person did and was given a different punishment, then we want to make sure that both people are getting the same punishment. Um, 
So we'll file that grievance with the company. They will do some investigation. We will do some investigation. Um, you know, one step we will use in that is the request for information, which we talked about earlier. Um, so we want to make sure um, through that information that we request that all of those things are met. So, um, you know, that somebody else wasn't given a different punishment for the same, same crime, um, you know, stuff like that. So um, usually once that request for information is filed, we can then uh, investigate what they saw you know, and see what information they use to come up with some sort of a punishment or discipline. Um, and then what we'll ultimately do is um, have a formal meeting with management again, uh, where basically it's not necessarily a, ne a negotiation, but we want to present our points um, to give our side of the story. Um, some departments, not necessarily the one that we work at, will use like an arbitrator. They'll, they'll even go up a little bit higher, but usually within our call center, it's just a matter of uh, you know, coming to some sort of a negotiation with management where what will make, we'll, you know, fair treatment is the concern. So if we can demonstrate that they did something wrong, uh, that somebody else was given a, a lesser punishment for the same, same issue, um, what we'll do is then, you know, like I said, negotiate that process and hopefully either reduce or remove uh, that discipline. Um, a lot of times in our, you know, in our line of work, there's a lot of attendance issues. Um, so sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's a point system that will, once you reach a certain level of points, you're, you're going to get terminated. Um, but, um, you know, if we can demonstrate that some of those points were incorrect, uh, they shouldn't have been there, or there was an agreement they had with their, their manager or something, um, we can get points removed, um, and reduce that punishment. And in some cases we've gotten people, their jobs back, um, you know, hopefully in the case of people that have lost their jobs for a significant part of time, we'll also make them whole which means they get their job back and then also any kind of back pay that they missed during that time frame. Um, but the grievance process is a very important process because it's, it's what we use to keep the company honest when it comes to discipline and making sure that everybody's treated fairly. Right. Right. And so when you, when, when we're thinking about how can we use this grievance process to build power, um, you know, there, there's definitely a sensitive thing because a lot of the times grievances deal with potential disciplinary issues. And, and, and I don't think all the time, I think my understanding of, of what a grievance is, is that, you know, you're, you're basically charging that the company is in violation of the contract in, in, in one form yep. or another. Um, and it doesn't have right. to be disciplinary, but a lot of times it is. Um, and, yep. and so maybe, you know, somebody is, you know, when you're think when you're talking about disciplinary issues, it, People oftentimes don't want their, you know, quote unquote, dirty laundry aired, right? And so, you know, I, I think it's important to to understand maybe when it is appropriate to use a grievance system to build power, right? You know, because maybe sometimes right. it's just not appropriate to 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 use a grievance to build power. Maybe maybe sometimes we just want to do it as as quickly and as you know behind the scenes as possible so as to not embarrass this employee who had some sure. sort of issue right oh absolutely yeah and it, they're always kept private unless of course they want to um you know but those are also good things as well because not every issue is a unique situation so if we're working a grievance you know with somebody who just wants to be kept quiet uh, you know, we're learning what the company is going to do, what they're going to say. Uh, so if in the situation of the future, we, you know, we have a much larger issue, we can use the same strategies, 
Uh, you know, and, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be with discipline. I mean, there are things where the company is breaking the contract when it comes to like safe workplaces. Mm. Um, there was a time in this call center a few years ago as well, where um, it seemed like every, it was every Friday afternoon at a certain time, like three o'clock or something like that. Um, I don't remember the exact time. It's been so long since we've been in the building, but um, they would, as a test, they would fire up the emergency generator. Um, in case of power outages and stuff like that, just to make sure that they could keep running. Um, that emergency generator is diesel. Uh, so when they would fire it up, all the fumes would come out of that generator and that generator was right near the intake for our climate control. Mm. So whether it was heat or whether it was air conditioning, at that time, every Friday, you know, people were starting to get dizzy because noxious fumes are coming into the building. Oh my uh, so that was definitely an issue that we had to take up and make sure that, you know, the safety of our, our members and the workers is the utmost concern. So we had to make sure that that was taken care of as, as well. So there's many things, you know, and like I said, uh, not necessarily um, when it came to that pay that they missed out on, that wouldn't have been a you know, disciplinary grievance, but contractually they were required to make a payment or a paycheck to us every two weeks. So that would have been something we would have had to take care of. Luckily we didn't have to file a grievance and we got our money on time. Um, but you know, that would have been also something we would have done. Right, right. And so that's, that's a good, you know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that exactly. But but that's a good point that some some of the times when there's a grievance that is um, that, that, you know, the employee does want to keep under wraps, so to speak. Uh, that can be a good learning opportunity for, uh, for the union to, you know, take yep. some tactics into into another maybe more public fight potentially. But when you are when you're looking at um, at grievances, how w- what are some things that you think about when you are deciding whether or not this needs to be a public fight and this needs to be or and whether or not this is an opportunity to build power in the union? So, you know, one of the important things for me as an organizer is, and and stewards, of course, and any kind of a strong union is going to be, you know, you're going to have the core group of people. You're going to have the, you know, the e-board, you're going to have the stewards. Um, It's a lot of work for just that amount of people. Um, So as an organizer, we are always, you know, we got our, our soldiers on the street, right? So we're listening to what they're saying, any issues that are arising, and like I said, with that paycheck thing, I mean, my phone was off the hook at 7.30 that morning. So as a powerful local, as a powerful union, um, we need to listen uh, to what's happening to our members. Um, and of course, if there's enough of a concern, those are one of those things that, um, you know, we're going to make sure that's very in the open and, and, and we're very vocal about it. But then also situations where you know, maybe there's a change of policy and people aren't aware of the policy that's changed and it's starting to cause issues with discipline. Um, as a whole, we're going to make sure, um, you know, if it's affecting a lot of people, the same issue, that is also something that we're going to, you know, make sure it's pretty public for everybody, just so that they're aware of situations. We always want to make sure, you know, we'll, we'll update the, the membership monthly with, um, you know, first we'll request concerns, issues or whatnot, and then we'll bring them to the management. And then, of course, we need to you know, make sure all of our members are aware of what, what was discussed in those meetings and any kind of a resolution that happened. So um, that's, I mean, any, any one of them that's going to affect a lot of people um, or if the company is just being blatant 
and disregarding the contract, that is when we need to make it more public. And, you know, we start to do things where, you know, not necessarily filing grievance, but it used to be, uh, you know, in the building, there would be times where we would all stand up at the same time. Uh, on Thursdays, CWA always wears red. Uh, so we do things to make sure that the company is aware that we are still there. Mm, right, right. And I think that, uh, you know, is there anything else that, that you wanted to make sure that you hit uh, from from that second workshop before we let you go? I think we got it all. I mean, I think it's going to be a great time. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun. Like I said, the most important part for me is you know hearing other people uh, and their experiences. That's the best part for me. I know when we left Labor Notes, we were ready to storm the gates. <laughs> uh, so we're hoping that's going to be the same feeling everybody gets this time as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Matt, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for talking to us. Very welcome, Jacob. It was my pleasure. All right. Uh, so next up, I have Isaiah Thomas. He is an organizer with the Bessemer Alabama Amazon Union effort with the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union. Isaiah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you are going to be on a, a panel on Saturday about uh, race and labor and how we can talk about that, how, 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 how racism affects our organizing, how it affects our day-to-day relationships, and, and just the whole thing, because racism is, is a very big part of our society, and, and so it's, it's going to come up. It's going to come up in our organizing. It's going to come up in our unions, in our leadership, in our membership, and so how do we address it? That's what the panel's about, and so you know, just starting off, we, we, we can just start off with <clears throat> addressing it in the context of an organizing campaign. If you're trying to form a union in a workplace, uh, what are some of the ways that racism might um, might show up in that context? And, and how can uh, a, a union activists, uh, how can a union activist and a workplace committee fight against that so the the first and obvious way of how racism pops up in an organizing effort is through the techniques that the bosses use to actually prevent us from actually want like forming our union i've seen it with my own eyes at amazon they hired these consultants which worked with the most like blatantly racist co-worker of ours i mean like straight up neo-nazi to convince other white workers that it is not in their best interest to form a union and that the union is nothing but, you know, an outside group coming in to disrupt what you already have. And so having to talk to your coworkers to realize what the company is doing purposefully to try to prevent any kind of solidarity and any kind of momentum inside the facility to form to bring about real fundamental positive changes, it it goes to show how power dynamics also play within race. And then when you're talking with your coworkers, who there are some of my coworkers who are blatantly racist, such as the one who was used as a pawn by the company. Mm. And how do you address that, especially when having organizing conversations with them? 
trying to, you know, get them on board with wanting to form a union, why it's important to form a union. It's nine times out of 10, race is going to come up because there's some folks who are like, well, you know, this, let's say immigrant per se, even though they don't even know if they're an immigrant or not, they'll just assume. And you have to, you have to catch that. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. It's going to be an easy conversation. It's going to be tough. It's going to be uncomfortable because you're talking with somebody who actually doesn't view another person as equal, Mm. or maybe they're just like ignorance is a, is a real thing. And how do you overcome ignorance is by talking to people to get them to realize that that other person over there who may look different than you is nowhere near different than you. Cause they have to pay bills. They have to take care of their kids and they have to show up to work too. There's nothing that's, that's different between us only other than, you know, the fact that the company is trying to push these differences between us and whatever other outside examples that come in to actually want to actually prevent us from coming together. And so in in the context, to put it in the context of actually winning and addressing it in the organizing committee, using it as a method to teach one another of how to address the race issue and racism inside the workplace. It, you have to have folks educated on approach. Like you have to approach people in a way to where they don't think that you're, that you're trying to start a fight. Cause there are some of my coworkers who, when you're like, Hey man, that's racist. Like, like someone right. says something that's blatantly racist and you're like, man, that's racist. Some people take it, you know, like they mm-hmm. get very defensive about it. And it's like, well, what you said is wrong and we need to rectify this because you're actually hurting other folks and you're preventing us from coming together as a union to do something that would benefit all of us. And at at the same time, when you have the company instigating it, mm-hmm. it, it's another challenge you have to get around because it's, it's the power dynamic that comes with it. And so not only are you overcoming a social ill such as racism, but you're overcoming the power dynamic that's tied with it. And it makes me think of, um, there's a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois about the psychological wage of whiteness, mm. which is where white workers, and he was talking about in the terms of the South, white mm. workers have sacrificed solidarity for this idea of having a social, social authority over, over other workers and other people who are in the same ladder as them rungs of the ladder of the social hierarchy they could be poor white folks and they're poor black folks but because the ruling elite have such power in the context of the south but all over the united states but in the context of the south they use that power whether through the media or through the workplace to actually prevent workers from coming together and they use the color of their skin to make that justification. Right, right. Now, I I remember reading that and thinking that that was um, 
you know, thinking that that was pretty profound and a, you know, a really good explanation of why it is so, why bosses will try to use that so often. And, and right. even, even beyond the race issue, but just thinking about a, a psychological wage that maybe you get instead of a, uh, instead of a real wage, you know, we, we hear about, <clears throat> I, I know of several workplaces where if you're promoted into management, uh, you actually make less than the union workers. And so why just on a practical, you know, if, right. if, you're, just, if you're thinking about it from a like rational, self-interested, free market weirdo, right? Why would you ever <laughs> want to be promoted, quote unquote? Right. And it's because you get this psychological wage of, of being a manager, of being a boss, of being in right. charge of other people. <laughs> and there's a similar thing happening there with... Uh, with with racism you know as, yeah. as long as i can be even if it even if i'm not um if i can't point to any material ways in which i'm better or my life is made better by uh castigating this other group of people i can feel like i'm better right. and that's you know that that's something that that's pretty difficult to fight against if people are really dedicated to to getting this psychological wage <laughs> right and like the approach, not only is the problem intersectional, the approach also has to be intersectional as well. Because I know that there are some folks, especially people of the same politics as me, they can be um, class reductionists, but the, mm. we have to take it further because all of these things play in, in part together and they work together. And so how is it that we can get folks to overcome that psychological wage of whiteness, right, is by it, it honestly, it's by, you know, exposure to the fact that your other coworkers are going through the same things that you're going through. And mm. I like how you mentioned how if they get like a managerial position and they don't get paid as much as union workers, it's an example of like the Stanford prison experiment. It's, it's, it's a, it's an obstacle that we have to learn of how to actually get that shit out of the way, because it's, it's hindering us from performing any kind of collective action that would be, that is for the better of all of us. And the only way that we can actually get rid of it is through praxis through talking with our coworkers, actually confronting it where it is instead of pushing it to the side or ignoring it. And we have to have those uncomfortable conversations with them. How, ha how receptive have, have people been? You know, you mentioned that this is not a, this is not a, an easy conversation, but, you know, I, I think that, that you have, um, even though you're you're younger than I am, I think that because of the nature of of the organizing work that, that you've done, you you've actually had the opportunity to have more of these conversations with people. And how how receptive have folks been in in your experience to you know that correction um, when you know when they do a racism right and you're like hey you know you <laughs> like you did a racism right. a little bit there um you know right. <laughs> how have those conversations gone usually 
it has been, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's like, oh, everybody's like, oh, you know, I realized I, I just did racism. Right, right. <laughs> oh, you just undid 30 years of, of learning. Right. You know? like, right. Well, I'm is... not a racist anymore. Right. <laughs> it's a working progress. Like, there are, so to give context, the facility I work at, the Bessemer facility is 85% black. Mm. And the rest of the percentage is white folks. And how I, because how I approach the situation, also due to the fact that, so I'm mixed. So I, people can't tell that I'm biracial, that I'm, you know, black and white. And so some of my coworkers who are black, they're uncomfortable talking with some white coworkers who say some racist stuff. Right. And so that's where I feel like, I have to step in and be like, okay, let me have these conversations. And when I have these conversations, they're, like I said before, it's, it's a constant effort of trying to get them to, to realize that what they're saying is harmful and that it's actually preventing us from forming our union. And it, it's crucial that you have more than one person talk to this person mm. because I alone sometimes may not be the person to change that person's mind. Sometimes it has to be somebody else. And so when you're organizing, you identify who the leaders are and who they pool. Sometimes the person that you're talking to who is, racist or does a lot of dog whistles for example they actually may be a follower of a leader inside the shop who mm. let's say is not you know who doesn't condone this stuff but the person who says the dog whistles look up to this leader right if you find out who that leader is who can actually talk to this person then that's another option of try to, trying to get them to overcome that 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 bigotry, but also solidarity on the work floor and them seeing that we're coming together and we're actually bringing about positive changes that's also impacting their life, maybe that can also help them overcome their prejudices because they're seeing, okay, mm. these other folks, which are multiracial and they're multi-generational, and they're coming together and they're bringing about positive benefits that I see impacting my life. Maybe I was wrong. And so mm. it's a multi-pronged approach. It's not just like one and done situation and one and done strategy. It's <clears throat> multiple strategies of trying to help people get overcome whatever bigotries or prejudices that they may have. And so, you know, Moving into conversations about how, you know, from conversations about how racism affects our organizing to conversations about how racism can affect the structure of our unions and how we can hold, you know, leaders, um, quote unquote, accountable. Right. You know, there's been a recent um, there's been something happen recently uh, with the Los Angeles labor federation the there was a uh, there were a couple city councilors the president of the LA city council um, was saying some 
she did a racism. She did a she did a big racism, right? And yeah. like, I mean, it was really, really ugly and 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 disgusting. And it was said in the labor temple, in the house, literally yeah. in the house of labor uh, of Los Angeles, with the president of the L.A. Labor Federation there. And you know, this is that is something that is. So disappointing to see as somebody right. who is, you know, uh, an officer of, of the Labor Council here in North Alabama, you know, the idea that that somebody who's representing, you know, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand or more union members right. is is allowing these conversations to take place in his presence inside of of our house um, it, it is just it is just disgusting and, and so he has he has right. resigned as as uh labor federation president and i and i'm i'm not sure if he's resigning from his office in the teamsters but um you know this is this is something that th- this is not the first racist conversation that he's been a part of you know it can't have been yes. he's like 50 60 right. years old he's been in the movement a long time you know who knows how many people He's he has participated in conversations with made made racists feel comfortable in his presence and and participated in that right. kind of thing, and you know how much damage damage has he done that we are we are not privy to, um, right. and and so you know I I guess just your thoughts on on the situation and how we can um, foster a foster a a culture of you know holding our leaders accountable. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a a good example of the, a replication of the social ills and the, the hierarchical society being replicated inside of, you know, the labor movement. And I think the best way that we can overcome that to prevent that replication, because we live in a society and I hate to say, because I know, you know, we live in a society, but we live in a society where it is hierarchical and that actually produces racism. And that in order to keep those social controls in place, the ruling elite will use anything to actually prevent us from coming together and forming a labor movement that would actually bring about real change for everyone. And so in terms of what happened in LA, it's replicating and how we, how we prevent that from happening is by having a grassroots momentum of the, the membership. I mean, cause the membership has to hold them accountable and we have to rally those folks at the ground level to say that this is not okay. And we're not going to accept this and actually put forward a, a, a grassroots program of democratic accountability where we can actually remove these members easily, like one member, one vote. Mm. And uh, there has to be like a recall of some of these represent, like it, it has to be easy to recall these representatives if they're, if they're this problematic. <laughs> I mean, because being able to have that ability to hold power 
and you're you're putting forth this garbage of racism and saying some stuff that's very uncomfortable uh it shouldn't be allowed especially with the fact that what we're creating here in the united states with the upsurge of the labor movement we cannot allow that to continue yep yeah i totally agree um is there is there anything else that that you think is you know important to to pull out in in this conversation about race and labor before we let you go? Yeah, um, folks, it's it, it's not going to be it, it's it's not going to be easy mm. when we when we talk about forming a union when we talk about revitalizing the labor movement here in the United States. And when we talk about bringing forth the policies that we want to see to help out everyone, we also have to address the the racism and the bigotry that still exists in our society. You know, I'm I'm very anti-capitalist and I'm very radical. (laughs) And in order for us to you know, get rid of capitalism in that strive to get rid of capitalism and to form a new society where there is no poverty and people actually do have a say in their workplaces, but also in their governments. We also have to look at the other intersectional issues that affect us, such as racism or sexism or any kind of xenophobia that prevents us from having any kind of unity and solidarity because it's important for us to have unity and solidarity to bring about the things that we really care about that we want to see changed. And so these conversations are not going to be easy and in an organizing context and when you've already have an established union context always try your best to to be involved in forming that grass grassroots movement to have accountability and to have that process of showing unity and solidarity and talking to those coworkers who may have you know bigoted viewpoints or prejudices Isaiah Thomas <clears throat> Isaiah Thomas worker at the Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon facility, organizing a union with RWDSU. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, man.